Welcome to Business Conversations with your host, business strategist, Clive Enever. Clive is joined by expert guests as they talk business behind the scenes to give you the tools and insights to support your growth, security and serenity as you strive for your success. Welcome to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enever. I am Clive Enever, business strategist, and we're having a conversation with Mac Ling about finding freedom and confidence through radical authenticity. Mac Ling is a transformational leadership coach, public speaker, and founder of Coaching Collective, an executive coaching company developing leaders in the Asia-Pacific area. Bachelor of Science from University of California, San Diego, in Cognitive Science, and an MBA from the Darden School at the University of Virginia. And he is a Certified Advanced Master Coach, an ICF Associate Certified Coach, a Registered Consultant for the UNDP, Asia-Pacific Leadership Consultancy. And there's a whole lot more there on that list that I'm not going to bother anybody with, because he's an all-round nice guy. So, hello, Mac Ling, and welcome. Hi, Clive. How are you? It's great to be here. Absolutely top of the world I am, and very pleased to have you here, Mac. And I wasn't joking, of course, when I said that you're an all-round nice guy, but I know that. Our listeners don't know that, Mac. Tell us how on earth you came to be at the university to get yourself a cognitive science bachelor. That's a great question. So it's actually, as I'm thinking about it, I have these decisions in my life where it feels like I didn't potentially choose it. It feels like it chose me or I stumbled into it. And with this one, I had decided that I wanted to be a computer science person going into university. And I took the first two years of courses and started realizing that all of my time was stuck in a basement laboratory in front of a green screen, LCD, plastic machine, and I didn't get to talk to anybody. And I felt like, wow, this is gonna be the rest of my life. I actually have no interest in doing this work anymore. And that, and I also failed my electrical engineering labs. <laughs> uh, and I was like, this is not for me. I don't understand this at all. And so I started looking around for a major where at least I could use as many credits as I had already taken or I'm air quoting wasted uh, my time with and so that I could graduate still on time. And this cognitive science popped up. It was a weird new major interdisciplinary between cognitive science, neurobiology, and then artificial intelligence. And they sort of smushed it all together. And I said, okay, this sounds somewhat interesting and they'll let me graduate. So I'm just going to do that. That sounds excellent. Now, whereabouts have we found you today? Where are you geographically? So today I'm living in Hong Kong. I live in a small island called Lama Island uh, off the south coast of Hong Kong. And yeah, we have a, as you mentioned, this is a small island and we have no automobiles on this island. Uh, so it's all little commercial golf carts and then walking and bicycles. And the only way in and out of this island is a ferry that runs you back to Hong Kong within 25 minutes. All 25 minutes out of town, no cars. Wow. That sounds like a pretty damn good life. It's not so bad. I'm looking at the ocean right now. It's a five minute walk to the beach. You know, and we have the city 30 minutes away, which, you know, you have world-class healthcare, world-class, yeah, world-class city, you know, right at your doorstep. So it feels like a, a weird, funny little gem that we found here. I feel very lucky. <laughs> and of course, you refer to we. Now, who's we? 
So my wife, I have a, a lovely wife, Mila, and then our two small boys uh, are 22 months and five months. So we are really in the middle of raising a little army of little people at this point. And, <laughs> and then we have also have a small little dog and it's been crazy. And so you can imagine just the amount of change that's happened over the last three years is quite significant, but it's been yeah quite an enjoyable journey, I would say. Yes. Children seem to make that change for us. And they too, like you mentioned about some of the decisions that you've been able to make, not necessarily about things that you sort out, but things that seem to come to you. The kids do that too, don't they? It's funny that you mentioned that. I think... <laughs> Number one was more planned. Our oldest, we were like, yeah, like we're ready to have a kid. And number two, you're like, oh, 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 this happened too soon. <laughs> but here you are and we're we're ready, as ready as we're going to be. So, and he's wonderful also. Uh, but yeah, we definitely didn't plan number two. <laughs> That's excellent. That's excellent. Now, along the way, of course, you have had to make a few decisions. You've traveled a fair bit, I understand, Mac. Tell us about where you've traveled and what you learned from that. Yeah. So I think after I finished graduation in San Diego, I started creating a pattern of moving cities every two years or so, which also meant moving jobs. So started in Silicon Valley during the first dot-com boom and then saw the first dot-com crash and then fled to Singapore, lived there for a couple of years, worked for my family, and then decided I wanted to go back and get an MBA. So went back to the U.S. and did a two-year stint in Virginia, got recruited to go work in the Midwest. So I spent two years in the Midwest. They moved me back to California, where I spent another two years. And then I decided to take a severance package and then moved to San Francisco for two years. And then, so now we're at about 2012. And then I moved back to Hong Kong in 2012 for a stint with my family, uh, working back in the family business. And then that was a very tough year in terms of culturally being a very Western educated and trained person working in a very Chinese, a traditional family business. And was, uh, we can talk a little bit about that. And so I decided to move to Bangkok to start my own company since I was like, well, I can't be in the family business. I might as well be an entrepreneur myself. And then started a business in Bangkok, failed a business, started an NGO, and then learned and then got trained as a coach. And that's what brought me back to Hong Kong in 2015. And I've been here since then, and I haven't moved in six years, which is, I think, a record at this point, and really enjoying this phase of the life here, so. You really settled down in comparison to moving every two years, Mac. It was a shock, I'll tell you. At the two-year mark, you get that itch, and you're like, what am I still doing here? But it's been really great, and I'm, I'm glad not to have had to move again. Yeah, which is a very important point you raise because your body, your mind calling to you, why haven't we moved? We sort of fall into these habits of doing certain things without necessarily knowing about it, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah. And one habit, of course, that very often we don't fall into is working in the family business. There's lots of reasons why that doesn't necessarily work. What did you discover as you tried to work your way through the family business? Yeah. You know, I think the biggest lesson or the takeaway that I had was I was essentially, you know, one of the top three, top four people in the business. So my uncle, uh, who still runs the business, and then there are three of us in this second layer. And having worked in corporate America and really like understood how to play politics, really understanding the tensions between all the people in the leadership, I sort of thought when I would go to the family business, I wouldn't need to worry about that. And so I just sort of started doing my own thing. And I was like, well, you know, this is 
this should be fine, right? Because, you know, like I'm doing things in the best interest of us and the family and I'm, you know, going to help make this business as sustainable as possible. And without that awareness, I wasn't able to see that the things that I was doing was really affecting my cousin, who was the head of HR. And I was changing a lot of the culture within my team, within other teams, and this was not being met well. And then all of a sudden, I'm starting to get attacked by my own cousin, who's like, what the hell are you doing? This is really ridiculous. You can't tell people they can do this. I was like, oh. And it really caught me off guard to the point where I, you know, I essentially like, had to resign because I like, was not ready for that type of, we'll call it like an attack, coming from somebody that I you know, have known for 40 years. So that was a really tough learning to figure out. Yeah, it's a very important thing. I spend considerable time with the people that I work with explaining how one deals with family and friends. It's relatively easy, by the way. It's just a matter of understanding what it's all about. And as Mac just outlined, if you're not on your game, you can end up in a rather embarrassing spot. Yeah. <laughs> but you scarpered across to, was it Bangkok, you said? Bangkok. Yeah. And you started a business over there. How did that all transpire? So my uncle is one of my closest. Yeah, he is, you know, one of the closest people in my life. And he, you know, as we were separating from the business, he asked me, hey, like, what do you love? I think it might suit you to go and really look at some of the things that you love and find a way to bring those out. Because, it, you know, even working in that business, he could see that I, my, my heart wasn't really in it, you know, and, and so my thinking and my time like thinking about that really led me to i love travel food and people so i said okay well why don't i start a travel business and show people a more local side of the city bring them to interesting restaurants and bars and you know essentially sites that only you would be able to get to if you knew a local and introduce you to people who were maybe you know entrepreneurs artists chefs and bring them into your homes and, and really like get a feel of like, wow, like if you were connected to some really amazing people in a city, this is what they would be able to share with you. And, and so I built that trip out and I built out a week long trip. And I think the funny learning that I had from that was, you know, I love, or I started to make this distinction between travelers and tourists. And I realized that I love being with travelers and people who like wanted to see a place and like not get on a bus and, you know, just really see a city. But the problem was that I couldn't find them as in a marketing exercise. So I couldn't figure a way to communicate to them. So I like fill my pipeline with people. But the only people I could find were tourists who I actually realized, wow, like I don't even really enjoy working with these people. So I have a big problem in terms of how I'm going to make a sustainable business because I don't know if I have a joy for serving these customers who are willing to pay me money and maybe this isn't the business that I thought it was going to be. And I had to shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> Another really important point. We've got to be certain before we get out there, haven't we? <laughs> Absolutely. And the weird part was, I don't think I would have known that distinction without really having to go and do that mental exercise of, hey, I'm going to go to the peninsula and try and sell my you know, tour into the peninsula. And then realizing, well, what kind of people stay at the peninsula? I'm like, well... Maybe not my target clients. And that was very tough mental exercise. <laughs> <laughs> it is a difficult thing to discover. But once discovered, of course, it provides you with the clarity to move on and, and to do other things. So from that, I'm presuming, of course, that courtesy of the uncle, you're now back looking again. What do I love? 
what what am I going to do? How am I going to put it all together? How did that all work? And one of the groups that I was introducing people to in the tour was people who were doing social justice work. So small community charities and NGOs working with refugees or with children, working with people doing, you know, urban aquaponics. I mean, different things in the city that were like quite interesting from a charity basis. And I think one of the things that I realized was that many of these people really just saw a need in the city and then decided to start helping and to start building something. And so then, you know, coming with an MBA and, you know, I was like, well, let me at least help these individuals with their business and asking some basic questions like, hey, can I, you know, take a look at, you know, your accounting and like, let's see, you know, like where your money is. And they're like, what's accounting? I was like, oh, <laughs> like, how do you know, like how much money you're spending and how much money is going, coming in and going out? They're like, well, we just look at the bank account. I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, I would really like you guys to be around for a lot longer. And I, so if there's some way maybe that I can help you build some sustainability, like let's talk about marketing, let's talk about how to pitch and like raise more money effectively. Let's talk about accounting. And so I worked with a couple of individuals and we started a small charity just doing uh, capacity building for these small charities in Bangkok. So running some workshops, vision, mission, values work, and just really helping people to get clarity about like, hey, this is what my business is doing. This is how we serve people. This is how you can help us. And that felt very much in alignment with, okay, at least I can make a small impact with some people here and I can get paid a little bit of a salary. And at least I have a, a life that's manageable for now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well done, because you really important points you're bringing up, just get in and have a go. And of course, those people without the knowledge that you've had through your schooling, they were still making an effort and providing an impact, I imagine, notwithstanding they might not have been able to sustain it because they didn't understand how the money worked, but at least they were having a go and you were able to have a go and provide extra benefit to them. Yeah, I hope so. And that was the the intent, you know, and, and I think that's, it was very inspiring to work with people who are just having a go, you know, where I came from this world of MBAs where everything needed to be planned out. Like I need to see a three-year business plan. And I met these, you know, guys that are like, well, we saw some kids and we wanted to raise some money for them. So we opened a coffee stand and we sell coffee to raise money for these kids. I was like, wow, that is so amazing. I love this. Just let's just get in you know, find a way to make some money and let's, let's just do it. It's, it's very inspiring. Which of course is where we all came from before we had this education. Yes. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> when we look around the world, we discover that the numbers vary a little bit, but generally it runs out to more than half of the businesses that have begun fail within the first three years. Are we still doing it without enough education? That's a good question. I think, I mean, I've started seven or eight businesses at this point most of which have failed within the first three years. And I mean, I think there's so many things that can cause a business to fail. And so you could have the best plan, the best idea, best team, and you still might not make it because of timing or just weird factors. And I don't know, I think you really do have to have a bit of luck or maybe a lot of luck, you know, for something to take hold and, and the timing to be right. Because I think that maybe that's one of the things I'm, you know, even as I'm processing, Sometimes it's just not within our control whether or not the business succeeds. There are many, many things going on around us. And of course, your profession nowadays is addressing one of the key factors in all of that. Well, it might even help us create our own luck. How does what you're doing now, uh, how does it run? 
So for the last six years, so when I moved back to Hong Kong, I started my executive coaching business. And, and I think, you know, some of the things I'd learned were, I think I'm, I'm ready to be self-employed. I think I can manage me and a salary and, and then figuring out ways for me to create value for people individually. And I think over the years, it's shifted a little bit and moved. I think where I'm finding I create a lot of value is where people I think I meet a lot of people now with, there's a lack of self-belief, I think that's been generated. I don't know what it is in our society that's creating a lack of self-belief. And so there's a huge need that I see in people for external validation. Like people need to tell me that I'm doing a great job or else I can't you know, find it within myself to tell myself that I'm doing a good job or I'm not good enough. And so, so much of this leads to this challenge of, hey, if you're going to start something, nobody else is going to tell you. It's just you and the wall. Or if you're waiting for somebody else to pat you on the back, it may not happen. And so, so much of what I'm doing now is really how do we help people and help clients spark their own self-belief and spark their own yeah, acceptance of who they are so that they can be more sustainable and more self-sufficient in basically all aspects of their life, right? In their business life, in their personal life, you know, in their yeah, spiritual life, all those places do rely on that, you know, willingness to say, yeah, I do accept myself as I am and I can go and make some decisions and have the confidence to then yeah, do what I want to do and make some decisions that I feel confident and moving forward into. And in the end, whilst the external validation, as you refer to it, is really handy, it all happens within us, doesn't it? It does. It's so wild because... It's funny because we look for it and we seek it. And I think, you know, even as a parent now, I'm like, wow, like I give it to my kid when, you know, he eats his food with a fork and we clap for him and he expects us to clap. He's like, Dada, clap. And you're like, okay, okay, great job. Great job. <laughs> They're and... very good police persons, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> he won't eat another bite unless you do that clap. It's really like, it's like clap. <laughs> and and I think what's interesting and what I, I think I find in it is that, you know, we are seeking that approval so that we can find our own approval. And so it, it really informs us that, okay, this feels all right. I'm doing the right thing because it feels like there's a fear for us to venture out and try new things because it might not be right. I might do the wrong thing. And I think this opens up a lot of you know, my interest in like non-dual thinking, like, is there a right and a wrong? What is the value of us holding to this very strict right and wrong way of doing things? That's a very good point. And it's too deep for our conversation. <laughs> another time, another time. Another time. Yes, we'll, we'll get into that one because I like that. <laughs> for today, however, what sort of people are you finding now coming to you looking for this assistance that you provide and and how does that unfold so i think the common theme that i'm seeing is it's really people in transition so i think and so that's why actually covid has created actually a lot of work because people are stopping to pause and then make some decisions of do i really want to be in this maybe not i think i'm ready to make a change and i think that period of change can be very scary because you need somebody to or you like somebody to walk with you down the path and so this can be yeah work transitions personal transitions or i just need to like get my mindset into a new place 
so that I can do the thing that I want to do. So I think that's where I get referred people like, Hey, like you should go call Mac. Cause you know, he helped me to do this. He helped me to move from Cambodia to LA and start my new life. You should talk to him. So I think that's where I think people get the most value is when they are in transition. And we're talking about radical authenticity. For years now, I've been seeing out there on social media, yes, I do see social media, that uh, people are telling us that they're authentic. And it's often something that I notice when somebody tells me they're authentic, I know they're not. (laughs) How does one build authenticity? How do you help somebody find that authenticity? That's a great question. And it is... I think I started gleaning this as I was having, you know, some of these coaching conversations. And I found myself having the same conversation with multiple people, multiple times a day. And I was like, this is very funny. And it's uncanny how I think everybody is struggling with the same challenges. And, you know, the way that I boil it down, you know, we, it's easy to say, be more authentic. We're, all, we're like, just be yourself. Well, what does that even mean? Who is I mean, that's another philosophical question we can go down. But I think I boiled it into three somewhat simple steps. And I think the first step is really, can you start to find ways to know yourself more deeply? So this can be done through some assessments. You can take, you know, personality tests. You can take, I personally like the Enneagram. That's a great one out there. You can do some journaling and really start to understand, hey, like, who am I? What do I like? What do I don't like? How do I like to spend my time? And I think some of this is actually really hard for people. Like I definitely have talked to clients and asked them, hey, so like, what do you like to do in your free time? And they're like, I don't know, whatever my partner tells me I'm supposed to be doing. It's like, oh, okay. So I think there's, again, that external, somebody tells me it's the right thing to do, then I'll do it. And so I think, you know, that first step is really, do you know what you like, what you don't like, how you like to do, spend your time, so and so forth. Step two is, the toughest part. And this is the acceptance part. And I find that we have to find acceptance for our good, our bad, our weird, and our ugly. And I think that's where it's really hard because A, do we even know what the bad, weird, and ugly of ourself is? And then am I willing to acknowledge that, yes, I get angry. I snap at people when I'm hungry, right? Like, and, and I need to really be able to look at all of these things and find acceptance for those things. Because until we can find acceptance of those things for ourselves, we actually can't give any of those things to other people. And we can't really be whole people because we are still putting on a mask of, well, I'm, I'm told that I'm not supposed to snap at people and I'm not really ready to accept it. So I'm just gonna hide it from the rest of the world. And we start hiding whole avenues of ourselves from the rest of the world. And so once we find acceptance for those things and we start opening up the shutters and allowing people in, that leads us to number three. And I think that's where we can start to think about how does the unique combination of our good, bad, weird, and ugly create something very unique for the rest of the world. And like, that's how I can uniquely create value. And the way that I look at this is, you know, like some people have these like hidden talents and like interesting quirks about them. And it's probably what helps them to be so successful. It, they just don't tell anybody. And I think that's the, the stuff where it's like, oh, if I can like find acceptance for it and share it with the world, I may be able to be unique and then stand apart and not have to compete against everybody else because I'm in a class of my own. And the really important part you're talking about is something that a fellow in the first century before the current era was talking about Aristotle 
was known to say, know thyself, know yourself. 2,100 and something years later, (laughs) (laughs) how come we haven't figured it out when he knew it all that time ago? Right. The wisdom from back then still lasts. I mean, all of these wise men and women wrote all of these things down. And we still don't listen to them. You've been working with all of these people who need this help for for quite a while now, Mac. What is it that stops us from looking at that and saying, okay, let's go with that? I think I found that one of the big blockers is that we don't like to look at pain. We don't like to look at our own pain. So we'd like to stay in a happy place. There's a lot of stuff out there that's, you know, good vibes only, you know, just like live a happy life, be happy only. And I think we miss a lot of our richness of life when we don't spend some time in the darkness and understanding what the darkness has to offer us. And there's a lot of wisdom in that too. And, and I think it's a tough place to go because yeah, like we may not like what we find in there. And so we choose not to look at it. And I think that's where it can be hard, but if you have a guide, it can be easier. And I think that's why, you know, there's a huge build on mental health right now. Like, can we find people to help us go there? to really sit there and understand ourselves more deeply because we're missing out on a lot of the the depth by not going there. And I think you hit a very important point there that the authentic people that we see and we go, that person is very authentic (laughs) without having read it on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) They are the people who've accepted or acknowledged and accepted all of the color that runs through their life. They're aware of the whole lot. Whereas those of us who try and present what will appear authentic we're the ones hiding the dark stuff aren't we yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. and the work that i'm really getting into these days and quite interested in is shadow work and they and we talk about shadow work as the parts of ourselves that we actively hide from ourselves but are still there and like waiting to like bite people when they get too close and so the more we can help ourselves understand what's in the shadow the more healthy and just like less snippy and less yes reactive that will be with our loved ones and with our you know work colleagues and different things you know all of these people who are listening to us today and are suffering from that age old thing called imposter syndrome hasn't what we just went through dispensed with that what we talked about then it can And I think I've thought a lot about imposter syndrome. I think as a coach, this is something that, you know, people come to you. And I think a lot of this starts from, we give people advice to fake it till you make it. Like that is the tried and true advice of like, hey, I'm not sure if I belong here. Like, oh man, fake it till you make it. And no wonder we end up with people with imposter syndrome because we've told them to be fakes. And so I think if we can eliminate that from the like vocabulary first, I think that would be amazing. And then that second piece is, you know, Once you start doing it, you're not faking it. You're just being this person, you're doing the work. And I think that's the like funny shift of, hey, can we stop believing that we're just making an attempt or like giving it my best shot? You're like, no, you're doing it. You may not be doing it well, but you're doing it. So let's get into that place, wear the hat, be proud to wear the hat of like, hey, I'm being a leader for the first time. And I'm probably sucking at it and I'm willing to learn from my mistakes, but hey, I'm doing it. And that's, you know, where I think we can start to move away from, you know, I've gotten here and I'm an imposter. Yes. And I'll just keep faking it. No, do it right. Well, do it as best as you can. You'll do it right later. 
after you figured yeah. out the best wasn't good enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another th- I'm seeing these poor people coming to you and you're showing them what is necessary for them to be the authentic person they want to be. They're following your guidance and they're finding it. But as they find it, they discover that they're actually quite nice people and some of their friends don't like them. How do we deal with that? That is one of the tough ones. And mostly because as we start shifting, like our likes, our dislikes may start to change. And what we think is valuable to us starts changing. And I think I encounter this with clients where they're like, yeah, like I don't fit in with my old friends. Like they don't see the world like I do anymore. And, you know, I think what we go into a question asking mode, you know, but it's really more, what do you enjoy about being with these friends, right? Because they've been your friends for a while. And so do you still find enjoyment with being them? Well, I guess, of course. And I think it's just being able to then shift and, and then realign to understand, hey, like these friends no longer fill all the needs that I have for friends. And I probably need some new friends that help to fill some of the new needs that I have because my values have shifted. And I think that may be an easier way to think about, well, you don't need to like end your friendships. It's more, well, what about some different friends who then are able to serve what you're looking for? And of course, you mentioned a very important thing there in understanding ourselves is understanding our values, because the values are so vastly important, which of course is another conversation for another day. Yes. We've got so many conversations you're coming back for, Mac. I love it. I love it. This has been great. <laughs> we could go on and talk about this all day. And for many more days. However, we can't because the clock is against us. Before I let you go, however, Mac, what is the best tip you have received from a business conversation? Ooh, it actually has to do with choosing a business partner. And it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but basically, you know, I fairly tough business partnership that didn't work out. And, you know, when I talked to some of my uncle and then to some of my other business friends, they basically said, look, Mac, like choosing a business partner is in a lot of ways like getting married except you can't use sex to fix the problems. That's okay. I'm going to remember that one. That's a good point. (laughs) So the moral of the story is know how to fix the problem before you get into bed with a business partner. (laughs) That's right. And make sure you want to go down that road of marriage with this person, you know, before you sign the papers. Uh, excellent. What is the top piece of advice? That, can we actually follow that? I don't know if we can. What is the top piece of advice you'd like to leave listeners with today? I don't know if it's going to top that one. I think the easiest place for me to start it is really be kind to yourself. I think that we place a lot of expectation on ourselves to succeed, to be productive at all times. There's so much pressure. And especially now that we've gone through this, you know, the first year and a half of a pandemic, I think we're all very tired. And so, yeah, my wish for everyone who's listening is really, yeah, give yourself a break, give yourself a pat on the back for really getting through this last 18 months and be kind to yourself. Reset expectations if you need to, because it's been a tough one. And And most importantly, Mac, how can our listeners connect with you to start their own business conversation? Fantastic. And I would love to speak with you. And the easiest place to find out some more information about what I do is macling.com, M-A-C-L-I-N-G.com. It really is as simple as that, listeners, MacLing, M-A-C-L-I-N-G.com. This has been an absolute pleasure having this conversation with you, Mac. Thank you for being here. 
I've really enjoyed it. I feel like, yes, we could sit and talk for hours and, and maybe we can come back and talk about one of those more profound things. But thank you for hosting and really enjoyed this time. I'm sure we will. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enever. Make sure you subscribe to future episodes via your favorite podcast app. And you can find more business resources at cliveenever.com.au.